0: Hi, this is Pastor Mike from Compass in Monterey County. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I hope it encourages you and gives you confidence that Jesus is by your side and that his plans for you are to bless you. Well, two weeks ago, I challenged us to go 21 straight days without making a single complaint. So who's on day 14? Ah, nobody. Anybody on day 10? Really? You've been staying away from people, not talking? That's what one person told me. I haven't said a thing for two weeks. Anybody on day five? How many of us are still on day one? <laughs> oh, that is so good. i an honest congregation. Complainers, but we're honest. Let me explain... What we're doing, for those of you who missed that Sunday two weeks ago, it takes 21 days to replace a bad habit with a new good habit. And so my challenge was to go 21 straight days without making a complaint and to use this wristband. I had this wristband made up that says, A Complaint-Free Person. And this would just keep us sensitive to what we're saying and thinking. But the deal is, if you're on day 3, 4, 10, and you make a complaint, you got to go back to day 1. It's 21 straight days without making a single complaint. Now, this is real important. A parent came out and said, well, my kids are saying, Well, that's a complaint. And I tell them, no, I'm just parenting. No, no, no. That counts as well, how you parent. Now, I can tell a lot of us are having a tough time because as I look around as you walked in, your wrist is black and blue from snappiness so much. Some of you have rubber bands that, that dangle about a foot because it's been stretched out so much. You know, the fact is, a lot of people didn't even make it to the parking lot without complaining. You know what they complained about? Who picked green? That's not my color. One woman actually said, I don't have any clothes that go with this color. True story. Other people, I mean the hardcore complainers, walked out complaining to the ushers about a preacher preaching on don't complain. That's a hardcore complainer. You're probably wondering then what day your pastor is on. Your spiritual leader. Well, I would have been on day 14, except for a highway patrolman. (laughs) True story. I'm coming into a staff meeting on Tuesday morning, and this highway patrol car follows me all the way down 68 into town, almost right up to the church. So I'm... More than 10 minutes late to staff meeting. They're all waiting for me. I walk in, and this is what I said. A cotton-picking highway patrolman followed me all the way in to staff, so I couldn't go my usual speed. I had to go the speed limit. That's why I'm late 10 minutes. Complaining is such a useful excuse. That's one of the reasons we complain, We want to shove it off onto someone else what we did. But you know, the most frequent reason we complain is we've done it all our life. It's such a habit. And that's especially true if you grew up in a family where your mother or your father was a hardcore complainer. Or if your closest friends complain and complain and complain. You see, when you're around that kind of complaining, the people you love and all of this, it looks normal. You don't see any problem with it. You're not even sensitive to it because it's just normal conversation. You don't even realize how much you complain. And I want to say today that It's not only complaining, but gossip also makes you snap the rubber band. Because, listen to this, gossip is nothing else than complaining about another person behind their back. It's just complaining about another person behind their back. It's a form of complaining. Now, I know that there are going to be people among us. Right now, your self-talk is this, what's the big deal? I don't see anything so serious about complaining. Well, I Googled that this last week, did some research on this. What's the cost of complaining? And I was pretty stunned to find out that American businesses in America lose $300 billion a year because of complaining employees. They actually figured out if you have two employees who complain to each other one hour a week, that averages out to about $2,000 a year each. And if you've got complaining employees, trust me, they're doing it more than one hour a week. Not only do they lose productivity, but you know what they found out? If you've got complaining employees, they will drive away business. Because people get scared away. They don't want to be around that. They go somewhere else. They don't like that negativity. They drive business away. But the worst, the most serious reason why complaining is serious is that it is the number one predictor of divorce. And if not divorce, an unhappy marriage. The number one predictor. John Gottman, who's one of the most respected, universally respected marriage experts today because he spent the last 20 years following the marriages of 700 couples in depth. And he found that there, uh, he was studying them for what's the reason some of these marriages get better and other marriages get worse and worse. Why is that? He found that in marriage, and he says it this way, there are four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, it, you're familiar with the scriptures. In the book of Revelation, there are four horsemen of the apocalypse. And these are signs, these four horsemen are each for uh, a sign that the end of time is near. So Gottman ad, adopts that image and says, there are four signs... That the end of a marriage is coming. And guess what the the first horse is. And by far the biggest sign that the end is coming. Complaining and criticism. Complaining and criticism is a sign. This marriage is going to get worse. And probably end up in divorce. Unless they change. Last week I described how he interviewed... Each of those 700 couples for just 15 minutes. 15 minutes is all he spent with them. And from that 15-minute interview, he predicted which marriages would get better and which would end up in divorce. Ten years later, in 2002, he went back and looked at where these marriages were. And with a 94% accuracy, he predicted... Which marriages would end up in divorce and which would end up better? 94%. From just 15 minutes with them. Because what he was inspecting was their attitudes towards one another. He was looking for the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, why is that such a big predictor? Because God has built us so that women want to be treasured. Isn't that right? You want to be special, treasured. And men, the number one need of men is not sex. The number one need of men is to be respected and admired by the woman they married. To be respected and admired. Every man needs that. Now, what does complaining and criticism do for a wife who wants to be treasured and for a man who wants to be admired? It undercuts it. And that's why... It is so devastating to any relationship, but especially in a marriage. What Godman said that what he did in that 15 minute interview was just inspect their tongue. He was listening. You know, when you go to a doctor, the doctor says, stick out your tongue, because your tongue tells him a lot about your health physically. The Bible repeatedly says our tongue is an indicator of our spiritual health, and it will tell, and it's an indicator of the health of a marriage. Proverbs 18, verse 21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, especially in a relationship of marriage. Why is it that? 64% of second marriages end in divorce. 76% of third marriages end in divorce. And 87% of fourth marriages end up in divorce. The more you are divorced, the more likely it is you will be divorced again. What's wrong with that statistic? What's wrong with that picture? You would think on the second or third attempt, we're learning our lessons and getting better, and the success rate would be higher But it isn't. Why? Because studies show that people get into a different marriage but they take the same tongue. Different people, same tongue. And they don't even realize it. Because they've done it so long they're not even aware of how their tongue is operating. I read a couple of weeks ago a newspaper story about a man who was arrested in Connecticut after complaining to a policeman that he'd been cheated by a cocaine dealer. this I'm not making this a true story. Evidently, this man called 911 first to vent, but then he saw a policeman on the street and ran up to him and showed him his bag of cocaine and complained that the dealer had overcharged him. He's in jail. When I read that story, (laughs) I thought, this is just us. We are in such a habit of complaining, we just ignore the consequences. We just need to vent. No matter what comes. That's God's people in our scripture this morning. They would not stop complaining no matter what God did to wake them up. Just remember what happened. God had set them free from this oppressive slavery in Egypt. Pharaoh was so cruel to them. And God set them free and then he did a miracle at the Red Sea parting it so that they could pass through, but Pharaoh's army chasing them would be drowned. But just three days later, they were complaining. And then God spoke to them about his no complaining rule. And then in our scripture, 45 days later, they complain again about the food from heaven. We're tired of this food from heaven. We want some other food. And then God gives them consequences Then they, about a week later, they complain again, and their complaint is the same thing. And you know, I find this true in counseling. What I find is, if you've got a complainer, what happens is, the next time they get angry, they back the truck up to the whole list of their complaints and bring them all back up again. And they're the same complaints they've been making again and again. They just repeat them. Just like the Israelites did. And so God's anger boils against them for their complaints. Why? Because complaining at bottom is unthankfulness. It's blasphemy against God. Complaining is focusing on the bad and ignoring the good. It is an unthankful tongue. So God says, none of the adults will enter the promised land, the land of abundant life. Abundant life, that's the image. He wants to give them abundant life. But he says, none of you, you complainers, are going to enter it. Do you know why? Because a complainer would complain in the promised land. Once this habit is developed, a complainer sees what they're looking for. And it doesn't matter how good life gets, they will always find something to complain about. So they wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation dies off. God doesn't let them in the promised land. And that's just a picture. God wants to give us abundant life. But abundant life can never be given to a complainer. Because they'll ruin it. They won't be thankful to the degree they need to be. God has a no complaining rule. Do not complain or grumble, he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. That's in the imperative tense. It's a commandment. This is not a suggestion. It's a commandment. Do not complain. Do you realize that when we complain, we are disobedient to God? Do you realize that complaining is a sin in God's eyes? It's a sin. I remember the first time I realized that and how it impacted me. Oh my gosh. A spiritual person is not a person who's a complainer. Complaining is a sin against my Lord. It's disobedient to His Word. And it's a sin, not only because what it does in relationships, and Jesus is wanting us to love one another, and to unite us, to build unified relationships. Complaining is not loving that person. It's an unloving thing to do. And he also, it's a sin because it's an unthankful attitude. God cannot give abundant life to a complainer. You can't live positively talking negatively. That's why God makes it a sin. I want to give you abundant life, but I can't do it if you're negative. I can't do it. So, how do we conquer? this popular sin, and it's a popular sin. It's popular. Well, first, we've got to start tasting our words before we speak. Taste your words before you speak. I read about a man who was lying on a sidewalk, badly beaten up in front of a beauty salon. Policeman walks up to him and says, Gee, what happened to you? The guy says, well, the last thing I remember, my wife was coming out of the beauty salon, and I said, well, at least you tried. <laughs> you got to taste your words before you speak. How If those words were said to you, how would you feel? You've got to ask yourself, how would I feel if what I'm about to say was said to me in the way I'm about to say it? You see, that's the function of this little wristband. It's to sensitize us as we walk around to start thinking about our words before we speak. The best marriages leave at least three things unsaid every day. The most spiritual people leave at least three things unsaid every day. The best parents leave at least three things unsaid every day. The person who enjoys work at the office or the place of work leaves three things at least unsaid every day. If you hit number 3 one day, boost it to 5 that day. You've got to ask, we've got to ask ourselves if what I'm about to say, does it really need to be said? Does it really need to be said? How is that person going to feel? How would I feel if I were in their shoes? And this was said to me. Criticism is no one's love language. No one feels loved by a critic. They're your critic. But I know what you're thinking. (laughs) I need to vent. This is how I get rid of my anger and how I process. That was very popular advice by counselors in the 1970s. They said, take a pillow and beat it. Beat against the wall. Kick the couch. Whatever you have to do, ventilate it. Let it all hang out. Say your feelings. You'll feel better afterwards. No, you won't. (laughs) They no longer say that. They did a 180 on that. Because they found that when people ventilated, what they were doing was rehearsing. They were refining their case against the person. And they were driving that anger and negativity deeper into them. They didn't get rid of it by ventilating. That's exactly what the scriptures say ventilating is the worst thing you can do because you give life. And it's also pretty bad because usually when we vent, it's a personal attack on somebody. Somebody's getting attacked. And here's the question as I thought about it. Think with me about this. If ventilating actually helped people be happier, not so angry and unhappy, if it helped people be happier, Why aren't people who ventilate a lot the happiest people you know? Think about that. Think about somebody who just says their mind a lot, who just lets it all hang out, tells you exactly what they think. Think of somebody like that. Are they really the happiest person you know? It doesn't work. But people continue to do it because it's become such a habit in their life that they don't think about it. But we've got to go deeper. And that's this. Your thoughts about a person determine how close you are to them or how distant. Your thoughts. Because there's no such thing as a complaint or a criticism that comes out of thin air. It comes out of here it comes first you think it then you say it and your how close you are i don't just think of the relationships you have is decisively determined by what you let yourself focus on in them what you let yourself focus on we cannot have a more positive relationship with anyone than our thoughts about them And that's why this wristband is so important. It reminds us all day, not only about what we're going to say, but what are we thinking? What are we thinking about people? Why is that important? Because, I've said this so often, your feelings are produced by your thinking. However you're feeling, you did it to yourself. Happy, angry, Sad, you did it to yourself because it's your thoughts that produce your feelings. Now, people are going to say to me, Oh, no, it's what they did to me that made me feel that way. Just not true. Because another person in your situation who's more spiritually healthy reacts in a totally different way by being forgiven, forgiving, by being compassionate, by being patient, by being long-suffering. You know all those verbs I just mentioned? They're all in 1 Corinthians 13 on how to love. The spirit of love. They choose to react that way and they have a total different reaction towards that person. No, my feelings towards people are produced by whether or not I allow my thoughts to focus on the bad about them or about the good about them. And everybody's a mixture Nobody's perfect. And that's why the Bible says the battle in relationships is in our mind. The battle for your relationships, good or bad, is in your mind. Because your mind is the devil's playground. It's the devil's playground. The devil, his name actually means the accuser. He's accusing you night and day before God in heaven. He has nothing good to say about you. He's got lots of material. Lots of material because we are far from perfect. But he not only accuses you to God, he accuses you to other people. Right this last week, he has put negative thoughts in other people's minds about you. Can you believe it? He has. And he's done the same thing to you. He's put negative thoughts in your mind, accusing thoughts about other people in your mind because he wants people to be fractured. He hates to see unity and love and peace among people. He hates it. Now, it's so important, if you're going to be a spiritually growing person, just set aside whether or not you're going to have great relationships you've got to battle in your thoughts in your mind. And this is the way it is. This thought comes into your mind about your somebody at work or somebody in this church or the pastor wears Hawaiian shirts. You've got to ask yourself, does that sound like Jesus talking to me? Or like the devil? Now, if it's accusing... If it's complaining and criticism, you know that's not from Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't go around complaining about people, criticizing them. He encourages people. He does not go around complaining. You never find Jesus doing that. You've got to say, that's not from Jesus. I'm not going to let it stay in my mind. I'm putting it out. And you've got to replace it with what Philippians 4 says. Whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is beautiful, whatever is worthy of praise, think. And I explained to you that word logizomai in Greek means not just think. It means let your thinking dwell on, focus on. Focus on those things. The scriptures are saying choose to focus on the good, not the bad in another person. And your relationship's going to depend upon that. That's how you win the spiritual battle. And the scriptures call every one of us to be in that battle. It's not optional. Take control of your mind, says the Bible. We are not helpless against our thoughts. We have to fight for Jesus-like thoughts in our mind. Now, the reason it's important to do this is because you will always see what you want to see in people. That's why, if you know my wife, she just always sees the good. When I first married her, it just frustrated me to death. That's all she sees is the good. You know anybody like that? You see what you choose to see. Don't you know some people that (laughs) they just see nothing but bad, always complaining about people. They're choosing to see that. A friend of mine sent me an email about a professor who asked his class to correctly punctuate this sentence he put on the whiteboard. A woman without her man is nothing. Now, men, how would you punctuate that sentence? This is how the men punctuated it. A woman, comma, without her man, comma, is nothing. Do you know how the women punctuated it? A woman, colon, without her, comma, a man is nothing. (laughs) Same sentence, it's just what you want to see. That is a a picture of us uh, with other people. Choose what you're going to see. By focusing on the positive and not the negative. Secondly, instead of complaining, ask what you want. Ask for what you want. This is how you turn a complaint into an asking, something positive. To be a complaint-free person does not mean you tolerate bad behavior. No. It does not mean you have no boundaries. No. It does not mean that sometimes you are not confrontive to a person who is behaving badly. No. It means to ask for what you want instead of being negative, attacking that person's personhood. Just ask. If you want to share... uh, An experience you've had, do it without being demeaning. Do it positively. And then you share any experience. To me, Martin Luther King's famous sermon, I Have a Dream, speech, is a great example of this. I got to thinking about this this last week. You know, I have a dream. And I brought it up on my computer and just went through that speech again. It's a masterpiece. This speech does not tolerate racism. This speech will not tolerate unequal treatment of other people, but there's not a negative word in it. He does not attack white racists. You know what he does? (laughs) Just gives me chills thinking about it. He describes his dream. Of how things could be. That's all he does in that speech. I have a dream. That one day. I have a dream. So beautiful. That's why that speech. Is so inspirational to us. Because he's just describing. What he wants. Without attacking. Complaint-free people don't let people run over them, but they are solution-oriented. Not complaint-oriented, solution-oriented. What they're looking for is what they want, and they describe that in a non-offensive manner to the other person. I once had a person on our support staff who was very irregular in coming to worship on Sundays. Now, it is our policy in staff that we as staff are in worship every Sunday unless we're out of town. That is the policy, our climate statement. Now, can you imagine how I could have gone to this person? You want your job? (laughs) Can you imagine how I could have done this? This is what I did. I said, often, you know, in staff, we talk about um, going first and being an example. And that's why, you know, in, in this church, our staff policy is that all staff will be regular in worship. And, you know, the reason we have this policy is because, well, it's, it's a commandment of God for believers to be in worship on Sunday morning. That is a commandment of God, to worship him and praise him. But we also have this policy because we can't expect people to do what we're not willing to do. It's an example. And the other reason we have this policy is we really find that people who are regular in worship have better, stronger marriages, stronger families, and just are happier because they're getting new ideas from worship. And so for all of those reasons, we want staff to have happy families and to get stronger and stronger. That's why we have this policy. Do you think you could help us with this policy? Describe the dream. No personal attack. Do you think you could help us with this? John Wooden, one of the greatest college basketball coaches of all time, Tells a story, a famous story, about his star player, Bill Walton, who later would become one of the NBA greats. Coming to practice with a beard, Wooden's policy, for whatever reason, was no facial hair on his players. He won 10 national championships. Hard to criticize his coaching style. No facial hair. So he goes up to Walton, and he says... You know, our policy is, is no facial hair. And Walton says to him, it's my right. If I want to have a beard, I can have a beard. <laughs> Wooden's famous response to that is, you're right, the team is going to miss you. <laughs> Boundary lines, no attack, your choice. Your husband. Maybe doesn't help around the house. And you feel like you do more than your share. You could call him a lazy pig. <laughs> or you could try to turn this into a more positive statement. Now, how would you talk to a husband like this in a more positive fashion? Honey, I wonder if you could help me by cleaning up the garage this weekend and putting your dishes in the dishwasher. That would help me so much. I'd appreciate it so much. And, you know, I'd really feel loved by you. What if the pig doesn't do it? (laughs) Make an appointment with me. No. (laughs) You've got to be prepared that sometimes they won't. But you have to choose your battles. You know, you don't have to fight every fight. You can walk away. You can walk away. Be solution-focused, not complaining. Ask for what you want. Turn the negative into a positive dream and a request. Work on that. And third, praise and thankfulness will always build a closer relationship than complaining and criticizing. Praising a person will always build a closer relationship than complaining. John Gottman, that famous marriage counselor, also found in his study of the best marriages and those that went downhill, he found that the ratio of compliments, praise to complaints was 10 to 1 in the best marriages. 10 to 1. 10 praises to one complaint. I got to thinking some of us today can't remember ten times we complimented our wife. Ten to one. They focus on what is good and they say it. He found that when the ratio goes to one compliment to five complaints or three or worse, that relationship it's not going to make it. Do you see what a person who has a complaining habit and is completely unaware of how much they complain because they've been around complainers all their life, do you see how difficult, why it's so difficult for them to have a relationship that works? It's their tongue, and they don't even realize it. That's the reason I want you to wear this rubber band. It is your coach. It equips you to start becoming conscious of how you think and talk. Last time I described to you a very famous experiment that proved that rats are smarter than people. Now, a lot of you weren't here. And so I'd like to explain this experiment again. And those of you who've heard it, just be patient. You're already complaining, aren't you? Well, anyway, (laughs) what happened was scientists constructed a maze of five tunnels. And they put the cheese at the end of Tunnel 4, and then they released a rat in the maze. And that rat went down all the tunnels till he got to Tunnel 4 and he found the cheese. The next day, they put the cheese at the end of Tunnel 4 again. The rat didn't even bother to go down the other tunnels. He went straight to Tunnel 4 and found the cheese there again and ate it. Third day. Do the same thing. It's at the end of tunnel four. Rat goes straight to tunnel four because this has worked every time. He goes straight to tunnel four, finds the cheese and eats it. Fourth day, they move the cheese. The rat goes straight to tunnel four, but when he doesn't find the cheese there, he starts trying other tunnels till he finds the cheese again. Next day, put the cheese at the end of that Tunnel 2 or 3, I forgot which it was. The rat goes straight to that tunnel again. Not to Tunnel 4, not to the other tunnel. Straight to that tunnel again because it's worked before. The cheese is there. He eats the cheese. They concluded from that, rats are smarter than human beings. You know why? Because human beings are very resistant to trying something new. They want to insist what they're doing is right. And so the scientists said, you know what human beings would do? They'd set up a lawn chair at the end of Tunnel 4. I know this is the right tunnel. The cheese isn't there, but I'm doing the right thing. And eventually, the cheese will come. That is so us. It's not working. But we still complain. Get the same results. A rat would be willing to try something different, and the rat would take a green bracelet out there. <laughs> a few years ago, Susie and I were on a plane coming back from the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. In a, oh, an hour into the flight, the stewardess brought a glass of champagne and gave it to my wife. One glass, nothing for me. So I said to the stewardess, is there a glass of champagne for me? (laughs) True story. She says, no. A gentleman from the back sent this with his compliments to your wife. He said for me to tell her the champagne is from an admirer of a beautiful woman. I said, which man is he there in the back? This is what she says to me. The gentleman prefers to remain anonymous. And I said, I bet he does. And I kept looking back there in the back for the guilty guy looking up. Do you know what Susie says to me? I like that man, whoever he is. That's a true story. Do you know what? We like people who say nice things about us. You're a beautiful woman. We like people like that. So how are we doing in our marriage? You've been saying nice things to him and her? The number one thing that a woman needs is to feel treasured. That's the number one thing. Do you know what the number one thing for a man is? It's not sex, no. The number one thing is to be admired and respected. Mm. Yes. That's what I hear from men. Complaining undercuts it for both of you. A woman doesn't feel treasured when she's criticized all the time and complained about And I guarantee you, a man does not feel admired if his wife is a complainer. I guarantee it. I hope you'll take a green wristband and take up this 21-day challenge. It's important. It's not a bad color. (laughs) The best marriages do this and the happiest people do it. You can't get in the promised land complaining. You can't do it. Remember, happiness always has a price. Everything great has a price. Determination, discipline, and the willingness to try something different. That's why rats are smarter than people. Would you pray with me? Would you just bow your head out of respect, even if you don't believe in God? Just out of respect. Just what is the condition of your marriage? Your relationship with your kids? People at work or in this church? what about this message today that you know the Holy Spirit has spoken to you you know you've heard the voice of God in your head your heart would you be willing to simply pray this prayer Jesus I'm willing to be willing help me I'm willing to be willing Pray that prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of Dr. Mike from Compass Church in Salinas. We hope you're encouraged by his practical Bible-based teaching.